You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. It is Monday, November the 22nd. It's a beautiful, bright but cold morning here in TW11. Lots upon which to reflect, including the stunning performance of Aplutar at Haydock Park over the weekend. Is this now the best steeplechaser in training? We'll answer that question later in the programme. We'll look ahead to Newbury and Newcastle this weekend. I'll be talking to trainer Kerry Lee. I'll be talking to Rich Ritchie and Susanna Ritchie's racing manager Joe Chambers about their two runners in the Ladbrokes Trophy, reflecting on Royal Pagai's excellent effort in the Betfair chase and wondering whether Saldier could lower the colours of the mighty honeysuckle in the Hatton's Grace Hurdle at Fairy House this coming Sunday. So much going on globally as well. A stunning sign-off from Gran Allegria in Japan as she now heads to Stud. Golden 60 picking up where he left off in Hong Kong. A 15th straight success for him and Chris Waller, the star Australian trainer, announcing his intention to run three of his very best horses, including the Melbourne Cup winner Very Elegant in Europe next year what's not to love about all of that but we start as we sometimes do with a little bit of racing politics racing post splash front page this morning uh, restructuring potentially of the british horse racing authority if its key stakeholders the Racecourse association and the horsemen's group get their way they want commercial parties to have greater influence over commercial decisions they say and they fundamentally want the bha not really to govern the sport they want to be in charge of that but to regulate the sport only and to separate themselves off as an autonomous regulator. Lee Mottishead, senior writer from that paper, The Racing Post, is with me this morning. Loads of good racing chat to, to have later in the programme, Lee. But first of all, should the BHA just be a regulator? It's a very interesting question, Nick. And the whole subject I find very interesting. The, the, the sort of ideas we're hearing being discussed at the BHA board meeting tomorrow are ideas that, generally speaking do come around an awful lot. I think horse racing as a sport in itself is extremely difficult to govern because of its structure. You've got the participants uh, on one hand, uh, you've got the race courses on the other, the most commercial of the bodies, and you've got the BHA um, in between them all. The Horsemen's Group and the, the RSA, the proposal they're putting forward to the BHA board in principle is that we the participants and the racecourses would be in charge of governance and commercial matters. You, the BHA, the BHA board, would largely be restricted, as you say, Nick, to regulation matters. Now, I wrote in this, this one of these pieces last year, how British Racing is run, it's only 13 years old, it's going to be 14 years old now, the BHA. Yet throughout its existence, there have been debates about what it should do and what it should not do. One of the early revolutionaries was its first chief executive, Nick Coward who sought to introduce a system in which the BHA was simply racing's regulator, leaving the racecourses and horsemen to sort out everything else between themselves. The racecourses and horsemen fell out almost immediately and have continued to do so ever since, as evidenced by the ongoing impasse over media rights income. So again, we had a situation there where Sunbright Spark had thought far better if we just leave it to, to you guys, participants and racecourses, to, to sort out the sport. The reality is that there's constantly referenced this word blockage 
in the sense that the participants and the racecourses don't agree on matters and therefore you need a separate entity, uh, a third party, if you like, in this tripartite system that we have now to make decisions. I very much like the, the proposal that's being put forward as part of this wider project, if you like, that in matters of regulation, the BHA and independents um, have even more say. That there are members on the BHA board and it seems perverse to me that those who are regulated have a say in how regulation takes place. But if we look purely at governance um, and the, I suppose that, that brings in the commercial aspects of the sport, I do think it is useful and important to have uh, a significant independent voice in that. That tallies with what government is saying to, to other sports they want to see in, in governing bodies. So I think in, in short, Nick, it's enormously complicated. The proposals that are being put forward now, I don't agree with. Um, I think there's irony in it too, Nick, in the sense that one of the two groups putting this forward, the participants, want to change because of the failure to uh, get through those prize money agreements that ARC and uh, Charlie Parker were pushing forward. Now that didn't happen because the, the, the participants weren't aligned. The National Trainers Federation and the Professional Jockeys Association didn't agree with the rest of the, the participants. And again, that just that underlines the problems in horse racing. People don't agree. And within the participants, they often don't agree. So is this the answer? For me, it's not the answer. Um, and I think we will be set for many more weeks and many more months of uh, debate and navel-gazing about how we're in the sport of horse racing. Yeah, the, the central thrust of this is that the, the commercial parties in this want to have greater influence over commercial decisions themselves. And they feel that if they're in a room, just them sorting it out, they will thrash it out and reach consensus rather than A and B having to agree, then having their homework marked by C before going back to A again. I mean, I think that's their, that's their thrust. And they will say, right, at the the, the, the flip side of this coin, as you've already pointed out, is that the, 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 the separate part of the BHA that then becomes the regulator would then have its own independence and would have more, more power to, to regulate without uh, interference from, from vested interests. We've got, sort of got a, a halfway house at the moment where there are four out of ten uh, of, the, of the BHA board are member representatives or stakeholder representatives and six independents. You remember the Steve Harmon days, he went for an entirely independent board. The pendulum of how to run this, it has swung back and forth extraordinarily over the, few, over the years, as you said. That's absolutely right, Nick. It does swing back and forth. And they're not, there aren't really any new ideas. These are all just ideas that have been brought up in the past, they're repackaged slightly, and they're put before a different group of people. And finally, can anything happen now? in terms of what's going on in racing's corridors of power without us all finding out beforehand? The problem is, Nick, with this one, and this is going to sound a bit Sir Humphrey, there, there, there are, um, there's knowns and unknowns. Obviously, we know what we know, but we don't know what's being discussed that we don't know. So there could be lots of unknowns that we don't know about. So although there are clearly lots of things uh, being leaked, um, uh, I, I, I don't know if it's completely the case that everything is leaking. And of course, what you also have to remember too, is that with, with any leak, generally speaking, you have to try and work out who benefits from that leak or who might benefit from that leak. Now, sometimes it's pretty obvious. In other instances, it's, it's less obvious. Right, yes. Let's move on and, um, <laughs> and try and deal with what we absolutely know, which is that Aplutar is, pause, probably the best staying chaser in training. I would say probably in bold, 
and underline. Obviously, we can't we can't know for sure, but I thought he was hugely impressive. Um, Nick, one thing I, before we just talk about Aplita, I would just I was there at Haydock on Saturday. It was the first uh, Betfair chase I've been to for a number um, of years, um, and I thought it was a, a really good day. Um, I was at Haydock two months ago for the Sprint Cup, and I thought there was a sort of different feel about the place for this day. Haydock is still a primarily a jumping venue, I think, in terms of the hearts and souls of racing fans. I hugely regret the changes they made there 14, 15 years ago to the to the track. But it was great to see a proper good day of, of jumping there. The crowd was very knowledgeable and up for it. Um, and I thought we saw a super two super performances. Brave Man's Game in the graduation chase, I thought was stunning, really sensational. And I was thinking of writing a piece at one point, Nick, on on Saturday along along the lines of, you know, the, the, the star performance we saw today wasn't in the Betfair chase, it was in the graduation chase. Well, that plan had to change because Aplutar was wonderful. Um, yes, now th- th- there are clearly lots of uh, qualifying points you have to make in the sense that this was highly unusual ground for a Betfair chase and a number of his rivals wouldn't have excelled on that ground. Bristol the Mide clearly didn't run his race, waiting patiently, didn't run his race, Imperial was still going well when coming down down the back second time round. But I think Royal Pagai ran a, ran a really good race. Um, I think Chatham Street Lad uh, ran a really good race too. And Aplutard has, has beaten them without really coming off the bridle. His jumping, as you said on your, on your Sunday TV programme yesterday, Nick, I thought was much better than last season. He was quick and accurate over his fences. And so he barely came off the bridle to win that race. We've given a racing post rating of 180, which is extremely unusual. It's certainly more than you would need to in an average King George or more importantly, in this case, Cheltenham Gold Cup. And I think he's undoubtedly the horse to beat. Well, what a Royal Pagai. He's owned by Rich and Susanna Ritchie, and he's trained by Venetia Williams. Willie Mullins trains most of the owner's horses, including Animix and Brahma Bull, who are engaged in this weekend's Ladbrokes Trophy, and Saldier, who runs in the Hatton's Grace Hurdle at Ferry House this weekend. Their racing manager is Joe Chambers, and I began by asking him what he made of Royal Pagai's performance in defeat. Yeah, thank you. No, he, he ran really well. Um, he's He just gave himself a bit of a cut on his right hind, if I'm not mistaken. So he's got a couple of staples in there. But um, all being well, it shouldn't uh, lead to him missing any engagements over the Christmas period, at least. It's just a, a quiet week, which he'd have been having anyway. Um, but I thought he ran really well. And, um, you know, I think he's got a preference for flat tracks, long straights. Um, and he's a bit French at his fences, but... Uh, he did let himself down uh, to a large degree on the, on the prevailing decent ground. And um, I think when the rain gets, does get into the ground, he uh, should be able to narrow the gap uh, on some of those classier animals over the trip. Not that I think uh, he or much else will be narrowing the gap to absolute hard anytime soon if he keeps turning up in that sure. form. Sure, indeed not. I mean, what you are now, your your fate is 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 mapped out for you in in top level company. Uh, do you fancy? Does Rich Ritchie and, and Venetia Williams fancy a crack at the King George? I think Susanna does as well. Nick, who is the actual owner of the horses? Lest um, we forget. Uh, yeah, indeed. Uh, I think so. Look, he's won round Kempton. It's a flattish track. It's either go there or go to the Welsh National. I think at the moment the. Um, the King George is a couple of lengths ahead of the uh, Welsh National in our thoughts as to where we would turn up. Excellent. Right, a couple of important runners in the in the Ladbrokes Trophy in Animix and Brahma Bull. They're basically the same price. Which has the better chance? Uh, if the ground stays as it is, I'd probably say Animix. I think his form with Galvin is um, looking 
better uh, in hindsight than it did perhaps on the day at Punchestown six or eight weeks ago. Um, and he is, now that we have found a trip for him over fences, he's probably improving uh, at that trip. So I'm, I'm very interested to see how he goes. I think Brahma Bull is likely to end up with top weight or near as damage. And as such, it would be very hard for him in a very competitive race like that to um, to, to carry that to victory. Uh, but all that being said, I expect him to run a very credible race touch with as long as both of them get there sound and well. And tightening the screws on Saldier ahead of a, uh, uh, his bid to lower the colours of Honeysuckle, is this going to be your best ever chance of beating the Star Mayor, do you think? Uh, don't know. To date, probably yes, but... I mean, it's not as if Henry's had needed the run when he started off their season last Saturday being Exhibit A. Um, but tightening the screws on Saldier with fingers crossed and kid gloves to make sure he stays in one piece along the way has been half the battle that we have with him. He's a horse we've always thought has been riddled with ability um, and you know injuries and um, the very unfortunate um, trodden on by the uh, ill-fated Espoir Dallin uh, aside, he's always delivered for us really when he's got to the track uh, within reason. So, look, it, uh, it'll be interesting to see him over two and a half miles. He was too keen over three uh, in the stairs hurdle last year, but I think the cheek pieces have helped. And if we're going to catch her, it's probably going to be this time round. For all, I think it's nearly probably her best trip as well. So, let's see how we get on, but we'll go there with a fighting chance and give it our best shot. Joe Chambers, their racing manager to Susanna Richie, uh, about the chances of the two in the Ladbrokes Trophy this weekend, as well as Saldier and reflections on Royal Pagai. What about De Machine? Not a horse who's uh, had many column inches expended on him, but has only got about four or five above him in the betting for the Ladbrokes Trophy. He's trained by Kerry Lee. I put a call into her this morning, asked what sort of form this lightly raced horse was in. He's in great form, actually, Nick. Um, really looking forward to running him this weekend. Um, just hope we get enough rain. Is rain absolutely crucial to his chance or would you happily let him run on a decent surface? I think I would let him run on a decent surface. He does by, he by no means needs a bog or soft, particularly soft ground. I actually think he got a little bit stuck in the mud at Ascot um, when, he, when he was beaten by Remastered in February. Um, he, needs, he needs nice jumping ground, you know. He's, he's a, quite a big-topped horse. Um, but yeah, he, he's quite happy on good to soft ground. I know you've got a couple of options this weekend, either this race or the rehearsal chase. What will be the key factors in the decision-making process? I think um, ground will be fundamental. Um, and I know they're um, struggling with the same situation up in Newcastle. Um, again, opposition will know a lot more once we see the entries um, today, confirmations for Newbury and so on. Um, and also the horse's well-being. I've got to look at the trip as well. First time out, you'd have to say that Newcastle does hold some um, advantages in the fact that it's just shy of three miles, whereas this is an extended 3-2. Um, that, that is a big factor first time out. But then we know this horse is a true three-mile stayer. I don't really want to bring him back below three miles much. Um and first time out, he beat some very nice novice chasers that you talked to last time out, um, last season. So, yeah, what's not to like? It's quite it's quite a knotty little dilemma, isn't it? Especially when you see a huge pot like that and there's only one Ladbrokes trophy and you, you've only got about four or five ahead of you in the betting. 
Yeah, well, the thing is, the key is, I suppose, not to be too shy, but to but to know your limits as well. So um, we'll we'll have we'll make a decision. I'll be discussing it with his owners, and um, you know we'll we'll try and come to the right right decision for the horse. All right, let's get down to brass tacks then, Kerry. You've trained some very good staying chasers. Uh, on what you've seen so far, and the evidence is is limited but positive. How good do you think he is relative to them? That is impossible to answer. He's so low mileage. I don't think we know yet. Um, uh, he has a great profile. Um, let's hope he can live up to it and, uh, you know, do us proud. Have you always thought he was good, though? Like, properly good? Um, oh, you've, I've always liked him. I've always had quite a soft spot for this horse. Um, he's been campaigned very carefully um, just because I've always liked him. Yes, I have got a soft spot for this horse. I think that's fair. And Richard Patrick, will, will he ride him if he if he runs? Yes, he will. Kerry Lee there, trainer of the Machine. Could be Newbury, Newcastle for him. We'll be talking a bit more about Newcastle and the fighting fifth hurdle in a little while. But Lee, back to today, uh, do we keep wringing our hands about the small fields at Kempton or do we just say, let's not worry about it, the ground's quick, we wait for the rain? What we've got at Kempton today and what we had at Haydock on, on Saturday where horses are coming out of the staying hurdle left, right and centre, at Fakenham the other day, is basically good ground. What we haven't got here is fast ground. We're not talking about a... Uh, a November afternoon at Kempton being such on good to firm ground. And I do worry that good ground um, now is perceived as the wrong sort of ground by some jumps trainers. I remember speaking to Simon Clace uh, during the November meeting there um, in advance of the Sunday when the decks came through on the Friday. And as we know, there were very few runners on the Sunday outside of the Greatwood Hurdle. And he made the point, well, if we were putting, if we were staging the Cheltenham Festival with this ground in March, I don't think the fields would be impacted at all. And I think he's right. I think if we had the sort of ground we've got at Kempton today, at Cheltenham in March or at Aintree in April, I very much doubt whether the fields would be impacted. Now, I know why it's different now, because trainers are on the early part of their sort of seasonal winter journey with horses that maybe don't want to risk them on ground they perceive to be too quick. But I just, I just hope there's not a, um, a case that, that, that the perception of what good ground is, um, is taking us in a direction that could lead to problems over many years to come. Now, the other key race uh, in England this weekend is the Fighting Fifth Hurdle. It's a grade one race that takes place at Newcastle and one of the entries, and why wouldn't he be, is grade one winner from last year, Belfast Banter, who also streaked to victory in a competitive handicap at the Cheltenham Festival. But come Saturday, he could well have a different owner because he is part of the Thoroughbid auction that opens tomorrow at five o'clock. His owner, Fergal O'Neill from Direct Bloodstock, joins me on the line, as well as uh, Will Kinsey, one of the Thoroughbid founders. Uh, Fergal, first of all, there must be thousands of people listening and wondering, why on earth would you sell this horse? Horse of a lifetime, already a grade one winner, with a great chance at the weekend. Yeah, a lot of people have said it to me, actually. Um, this is Direct Bloodstock was set up, basically, as an entity to buy and sell, uh, buy young horses and sell them when... Uh, when they have some form in them, he fits that bill at the moment. Um, we've invested quite heavily in a couple of mares and some very young, young fillies. Um, and it's the breeding route that uh, I'm hoping to go down. So um, these all have to be paid for. So uh, that's basically why we're selling. Would you be more sentimentally attached to this horse 
had it not been for, for COVID, do you think? That you'd been able to be at the Cheltenham Festival and, and really get stuck in. It was completely empty last year and, and you weren't able to be. Yeah, I, 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 that's exactly. I, I only thought about that the other night. Um, I think if, if I had been in Cheltenham or if I had been in Aintree, um, this would be this would have been a lot more difficult. I have actually never been on track when this horse has won um, because he won his maiden hurdle in Galway during COVID, and he won his bumper Nuke Nabbit, and I wasn't there that day either. So yeah, I've I've never been on track when this horse has won. So that's made a big difference. And, and as you say, you've already reinvested in, in new bloodstock. Do you have any inkling, normally people do, do you have any inkling, A, of what he's worth, and B, the level of interest in a horse like this? I'd have a price in mind, all right. Um, but it is a very, he is actually a, quite a difficult horse to price. Um, as I said, it's quite rare you'd have a progressive horse coming to a sale um, there is plenty of you know horses who've 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 won grade ones and are have gone to the sales, um, but they're usually past you know their best. Um, so it has it it has been difficult, but between myself and I suppose Peter and 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 the guys in Turbid, we 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 have an idea. Um, there seems to be quite a, a lot of interest. Um, whether that'll materialise into into bids on the day, I'm not 100 percent sure, but um, we'll find we'll find out tomorrow evening. I suppose at seven o'clock. And, and I suppose the other question to ask is, yeah, if you'd let it be known that this horse was for sale, you might well have had some pretty chunky offers. You've exposed yourself here by by going to to public auction, to online public auction. Why have you chosen this route? I suppose again, again because it's it's he, he's. It's quite a rare sale, um, and I've spoken to James Richardson from Torbid quite a number of times, and I just found him to be very professional. Um, the guys in Torbid have done a marvelous job at uh, getting the horse out there, uh, marketing him. Um, you know, it won't be for the want of no. exposure <laughs> Definitely. that he won't sell. So definitely um, not. Definitely yeah, not. So, which which. Which must be music to, to your ears, uh, Will Kinsey. I, I mean, there have been a couple of early skirmishes so far in, in, in Thoroughbred's brief life, but this is, this is the first time you've really gone into battle, isn't it? Yeah, well, look, firstly, I'd just like to thank Fergal and Peter for the opportunity, you know, when trusting us with such a, a class horse, to be totally honest. Um, obviously, I know Peter would love to keep on training him, and there is that possibility. But, you know, to have a one-horse sale is... is it's, it, you know, it shows what we can do, you know, the, the ability to, to trade quickly and react to the needs of vendors. And in this particular horse's case, and, and Fergal's, he's got an entry at the weekend on Saturday in a grade one, fighting fifth. And the horse doesn't know it. He's not, he's not going to a physical sale. So his, his preparations for Saturday are not interrupted in the slightest, um, which you know it's a huge attraction otherwise the horse would have had to get on a boat and you'd probably go to a physical sale somewhere so you know it's a you know i think it fits it fits well and i say we're really thankful for fergal and james james richardson in the office you know fergal mentioned it there he's he's done a great job and been in um conversation for a long time with fergal uh over over this horse and, and a few others so 
um, yeah, we're, we're very grateful for the opportunity. Well, uh, win, lose or draw, Fergal, it's going to be an interesting week for you because uh, either you'll, you'll get what you want or you'll have a grade one runner on, on Saturday. So it's a, it's a high-class problem, I guess. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's, that, that's one of the beauties of the sale, of, of this sale, as Will said. It, the horse doesn't have to travel to a physical sale. It does take a lot out of them. Um, in, in, in this horse's case, you know, he, he, everything has gone according to plan. He's in great form. Um, and yeah, if he doesn't sell, we'll, we'll be in Newcastle on Saturday and we'll go with a, a realistic chance. Uh, good luck to Fergal and to Will. Lee is back with me. Lee, let's talk about the global stage because some key players have been strutting their stuff on it the last few days. There could be a few more in Europe next year, courtesy of Chris Waller. Very elegant. Plus two more, as he revealed on my Sunday programme on Racing TV yesterday. Hello, Lee Motter said. Yeah, hello, hurrah, I would say, Nick. Having worshipped at the altar of Wings, I now similarly do the same with, with very elegant um, Nick. She, she did be an awful lot of financial good in the Caulfield Cup last year and the Melbourne Cup this year. I adore her. I think she's a super horse. And I thought a Melbourne Cup performance this season was one of the, the, the finest flat wins anywhere in the world in 2021. I thought that race stacked up really well and she dotted up. Now, they, they did talk about bringing her to, to Europe this year. So this time last year, the owners uh, were, were keen on the ideas. Chris explained to you yesterday, he wasn't so keen on the idea. And as it turned out, it would have been a bad idea because Very Elegant has won the Melbourne Cup. And in the hearts and minds of anyone in Australian racing, that is the race to win above all others. So, you know, if they'd given them the option of winning a, Mel- of a pre like the Trium, I'd say they still would have preferred a Melbourne Cup because that is their race. But she's now won a, a Melbourne Cup. And she ran to a sort of number that suggests to me that she would be more than worthy of a place in the in the arc. She's a, she's a wonderful horse, and I would really love to see her in Europe next season, as I would Nature Strip and Home Affairs, um, Chris's two star sprinters. Na- Nature Strip, um, at his best, he's a slightly unpredictable animal, but at his best, um, he's a stunningly good sprinter and anyone who hasn't seen home affairs uh win the the Coolmore stud stakes on the on derby day at, at flemington a few weeks ago you were over in the in the states and nature breeders cup well there wouldn't have been many more impressive performances there than, than this one uh, the Coolmore stud stakes is their commonwealth cup it's the big three-year-old sprint stage in the spring of the season in the southern hemisphere it's a stallion making race and appropriately for a horse uh winning the the Coolmore stud stakes owned by Coolmore. He absolutely hosed up. I mean, he looked sensationally good in that race. If he came across here as well next year, that would be uh, great to see. And it would be great to see in general to have to have Chris Waller, uh, a huge force in the training ranks, bringing three horses or however many brings to Royal Ascot and then to, to European races throughout the season. That would be uh, magnificent. I really hope it happens. Sounds like Golden 60 is just picked up where he left off. A 15th straight win for him in Hong Kong, rated 131 official classifications and was uh, right up the top of the TRC rankings as well. We'll hear from James on Friday where he slots back in after his absence, but he looked as good as ever. Yeah, he did, Nick. Um, this horse is so good. He's a winning machine. The, the sadness is that we, we only see him racing in, in Hong Kong, but we shouldn't make too big a deal about, about that because you can come back to us with, with, with the Frankel question. Um, but he is a, uh, a fabulous horse. Um, great to see him win. Great to see Gran Allegria. Um, sign out as well. Um, if we're talking about Hong Kong's best miler in, in Golden 60, you'd say the same about Gran Allegria 
uh, in Japan. Um, and she can do it over, over different distances as well. So, yeah, we saw two, two, two super horses performing uh, in Hong Kong and Japan over the weekend. They sell them here, they sell them there, they sell them everywhere over the next couple of weeks, but most notably at Park Paddocks in Tattersalls, where there's horses of all descriptions going under the hammer, foals, yearlings, but a really um, luscious collection of uh, broodmares uh, next week. Jimmy George is the marketing director. Uh, Jimmy, no rest. Um, it, it, it goes on a pace. Yeah, morning, Nick. It's still a busy old time. It's as you say. It's it's unrelenting the sales season at this time of year. But uh, the the December sale at Tattersalls is a is a great way to bring the curtain down on um, you know on the on the British and Irish sales season for the year. And we've got a really smart um, catalogue for the for the mares, which starts a, a, a week today. We've got a, a day of yearlings today, then four days of foals starting on Wednesday that ends on Saturday, and a very good catalogue for that. But the the fillies and the mares, four days of them, and they are the traditional climax of the sales season, and a very good catalogue to boot. The the brood mares, it's it's a little unusual this year because you've got this massive consignment from from Shadwell, and and that's supported by your usual draft from Godolphin, um, a, a bigger draft than normal, obviously from from Judmont, and and so much more. Yeah, exactly, Nick. The, um, the the quality of the catalogue has not gone unnoticed by breeders from throughout the world, and and the the number of fillies and mares coming from Godolphin, Judmont, and Shadwell is a particular feature this year. Between them, they've got two hundred and twenty four catalogues, which is a huge number of fillies and mares, which effectively are, are sort of pretty well dispersal in style, in 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 style, because you know they they're here to sell, which is a great selling point for the buyers that brings them here confident that these these you know these fillies and mares are, are there to find another home and to back them up there are some extraordinarily well-bred fillies and mares coming from other from other quarters you know particular mayor of note is Val's lead who is a, a group two winning three parts sister to the arc winner Val Geist she's only six years old and she's in Falls of Kingman so she's a pretty priceless commodity and she's followed into the ring by Jesse Harrington trained, uh, Sarah Kelly owned Cayenne Pepper, the Group 2 Blanford Stakes winner, who, uh, rare opportunity to buy a Group winning, uh, Group 2 winning filly, um, who is from the direct family of Urban Sea and See the Stars and Galileo. So, look, it's a, it's a catalogue full of jewels and we're looking forward to it. If you really want to know where the, where the sport's going to move over the next few years as, as Shadwell really winds down and Judmont reprioritizes. Is this a, is this going to be a pretty good indicator, do you think? Well, I think the, the foal and breeding stock sales are always a very good indicator of how the industry views itself. Strong yearling sales tend to produce strong foal and breeding stock sales because the, you know, the, the yearling, the yearling consigners, the breeders have, have, um, you know, if they've done well, they have the confidence to reinvest in the raw material to, to, to keep producing the top class yearlings. So this is very much an industry litmus test, exactly as you say there, Nick. And uh, with you know, with a backdrop of, of very strong yearling sales at Tavisols and and throughout the world this year, it uh, it you know we we feel it should roll on into the into the last two weeks of our sales season. Thanks to Jimmy Kerry, Joe Fergal, Will, all my guests today. Lee is still with me, and Lee has a tip for you. Well, there aren't many horses, as we've discussed, Nick, running at Kempton this afternoon, but one horse who runs regularly at Kempton is Mercian Prince, loves the place, invariably goes well there, 
and in what isn't the strongest two and a half mile handicap chase ever staged at Kempton. I think carry a big weight uh, to win that one this afternoon. Lee, thanks so much. Thanks to you for listening. We will see you again tomorrow. That was Monday, November the 22nd. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.